and we will be enriched by this experience together as we, Lord and our Savior, and our brother, Christ Jesus. Hilton is a special friend, and I love and respect the one who is a co-worker by your side. As I remember, the first occasion of being with you here at South Plains, I remember the first occasion of meeting him and hearing him speak in chapel. I remember the theme of his discussion, God's unlimited, awesome power, tempered by God's fathomless wisdom that enables him. And I thought to myself, I wished that I knew God as I believed Hilton on that occasion was acquainted with God, not so much things about God. So it's in that same pursuit that I have prayed and read and pondered and listened, praying that God will use me to guide, not as the talker, the speaker, but with the opportunity and the responsibility attendant there to guide our discussions, but welcoming your participation, surely to hang upon the word of God that we'll read. But things that occur to you that have not occurred to me to share them as we go along. Now, you may have to just throw us on, but get my attention because I'm not prone to slowing down on occasion. But we'll try to do that. But I want you to know that I would welcome input because to that extent, all of us will be enriched as well as it's hard to go to sleep when you're. Napoleon said, I am a man and I know men. And I hereby declare that Jesus Christ is no man. Between him and all other men, there is no possible Alexander, Charlemagne, Caesar, and I have all founded empire. And upon what did we rest the creation of our genius? On force. Jesus founded his kingdom upon love. To this day, millions would die for him. Napoleon as everyone who comes face to face with the Son of God, the Son of Man, had to react. And he reacted as he grasped to express the superlative impact that this man, Jesus, had on his life. The historian H.G. Wells said, of Jesus, we have to write not theology, but history. Almost our only sources of the life and personality of Jesus are derived from the four Gospels, all of which were certainly in existence a few decades after his birth. Despite certain incredible additions, we are obliged to say, here was a man. That part of the tale could not have been invented. Dr. Wells was not impressed with the deity of Jesus, which makes his estimate of Jesus even more difficult to comprehend. Or when he was asked of all humanity, from the unknowns in the remote villages of upland Thailand that I visited with Joe Bagby this spring, to the household words of world leaders, of all of them, H.G. Wells said, measured by the impact made upon the life of all men, undoubtedly Jesus Christ is the greatest who's ever lived. I say remark, since Dr. Wells thought he was just a man. So when we think in terms of walking with Jesus, that is such a privilege, such a challenge. And all that went before from eternity that defies our grasp is not in the real task and opportunity of today's walk. But I'd like for us to catch just a glimpse by the reading of several passages together so that as we come now to the inaugural year of Jesus, who comes out of relative obscurity in a little town in northern Palestine, that we'll have something of the roots of this eternal God 
who became holy as one of us. Join with me in turning to the first chapter of Luke. Let's pick up that startling occasion when leaving the environs of Jerusalem with the temple, with the presence of the scribes and the Pharisees, the teachers, the leaders, the elders of the nation, in the background of a first century world, which was real, just as real as Frankfurt Avenue in Lubbock, Texas, that bore the marks of centuries of people trying to find meaning and fullness of life, who had felt the power of ancient Assyria, Babylon, the Medes and the Persians with Cyrus the Great, mighty Xerxes, succeeded by Alexander the Great, widespread influence of the Greek language and culture, development of the major cities of Rome and Alexandria and Antioch and others that exist to this day, some of them. Into that first century pervaded the, the desire and the hunger to find some meaning, some help, some sense. But in what we're about to read, an angel didn't go to the capital of the nation in the shadow of the house of God to robed and tasseled priests, scribes. The angel goes up country into the rude, despised, ignorant, rustic area of Galilee. Dumb people, country people. Spoke to a young maiden. And we listen as the angel speaks. Verse 30. The angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and shalt bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. The Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. He shall rule over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom There shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Spirit shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Behold thy cousin Elizabeth. She hath also conceived a son in her old age. This is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Read unto me according to thy word. The angel departed. Matthew tells us in the first chapter of Matthew that the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found child of the Holy Spirit. Joseph being a righteous man, not willing to make her a public example, mind to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, the angel of the Lord spake in him, said, Joseph, David, fear not, take unto thee, marry thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people. And Matthew adds, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord with the prophet. A virgin shall bear a son and call his name Emmanuel being interpreted as God with us. And Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son. He called his name. Moses tells us in the third chapter of Genesis, first promise 
of something, someone, seed of woman, who would crush the head of the devil. We don't know who that is, what it is. Adam and Eve and the shadowy guilt and trauma of their disobedience to God and the judgment of death that comes upon them that very day. The rest of the Bible issues into the life which we'll consider this morning. Centuries later, God would call a man over in Ur of Chaldees, 75 years of age, his wife 65 years old, they didn't have a child, would give the startling command to just leave everyone and everything and go in faith, and they did. Abraham obeyed, went out not knowing whither he went. And for 24 years, they waited. And again, God spoke when he was 99 years old. Week from the day, we'll help a beloved brother who for years taught on Jesus there in Brownville. Celebrate his 90th birthday. We're not expecting him to be the father of a child by a wife of 89 years ago. And they both laughed and God said, Isaac means laughter. For God said, in your seed, I'll bless everyone. And in time, this man's grandson, Jacob, would say to Abram's great-grandson, Judah, scepter would not depart from Judah, nor the ruler staff between his knees until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the obedience of the nations, the people be. Genesis 49 verse 10. So really the story of the Old Testament, the oldest record of, of history, is the message not of Abraham, nor of Assyria or Babylon, or even of Israel. Though Israel is the nation, and the other nations have the interaction with Israel in hundreds of occasions, and involving thousands of people, But from beginning to end, the message of the Bible, the book, is the man Jesus. So centuries after Jacob had spoken to Jude, a thousand years after God in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 10 and following, said to one of the descendants of Judah, David, when you're dead, I will raise up of the fruit of your loins one of your descendants to sit upon your throne in an eternal kingdom. Centuries later. Descendant of a woman, Abram, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, and David would be born to a virgin named Mary. Would be accepted by her espoused husband named Joseph, who knew that her pregnancy was not his doing, and believed not only her tale. Can you imagine how many others in that country, when she expressed her virginity, believed her tale of an angel? Twenty-eight. Young ladies, Brownwood High School, are pregnant. Whatever reason they will give to explain or justify their unwed pregnancy. None will say, what well, I am pregnant, but I am a virgin. So such is but just a brief background look at him who would say to his disciples in Luke 24, verse 44. He's completed his ministry. Dead, alive, triumphant, evidently alive, spending time with his disciples, and now about to go back to heaven. His life on earth complete. Verse 44 of Luke 20, these are the things that I spake in you while I was with you, that all things that are written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms can be, then open he there and might understand the Old Testament, the Scriptures, and said, thus it is written, and thus it was fitting that the promised Messiah should suffer and rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin, preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. As of it held, so much of interest 
before he began his ministry. So little told us. The first 30 years of his life, just the, the stupendous events surrounding his birth, the flight to Egypt, the angels bringing them back to Galilee, and they're settling into Nazareth. Just that momentary glimpse when at the age of 12, he goes with his parents down to Jerusalem to the temple. And on that occasion, we have the first recorded words from the lips of this man, Jesus. What were they? I'm here on my father's business. There's work for me to do at the age of 12. So our study today is going to begin with the baptism of Jesus in just a moment, which took place probably in the summer of AD 26, according to the corrected calendar. According to our present calendar, we're in the year 1986. And I was in Thailand, Bangkok Post, at 1986 on the masthead. On the right-hand side of the plate said 2629, which was the year Buddha. It's the 6th century. So they give equal billing to the impact historically of Jesus, from whom all time is now measured, and Buddha, their God, whose bones are dusty. But according to our present calendar, Jesus was born in the year zero. However, Herod, according to Roman history, died four years before our present time in 4 BC. Since, of course, he was king at the time that Jesus was born and at about the time that the little children were two years of age, he killed all of the babies in the land, which fit in with the fact that he murdered his own wife, his own children, his brothers and sisters. He was a murderous, violent man. Killing the baby must fit in his character. Point is, he died in 4 B.C. according to our present calendar. So Jesus, according to the 1986 time of reckoning, would have been born about 6 or 7 B.C. And there are some checkpoints chronologically in the gospel, and we're not going to spend a major point in delineating them. But, for example, when in the discussion of the building of the temple in John chapter 2, they speak of, Forty and six years the temple has been in building. Well, we know when in Herod's reign the temple began. From that point of reckoning, we come to about the year A.D. 26-7, our present calendar, at the time which our walk with Jesus this morning. So from about the summer of A.D. 26 through the spring of A.D. 27, we're going to look from the early chapters, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, especially the Gospel of John, we're going to look at the first year here on earth, that God lived among us in the person of Jesus. We'll begin with his baptism, and we will go with him into the wilderness of temptation. He will spend a month and a half there, probably about the same day that he comes out of the wilderness. John will be tested by a deputation of religious leaders from Jerusalem. We'll read of his response as to whether or not he, John the baptizer, is the Christ. He will then see Jesus and point to him in John chapter 1 as the Lamb of God. And, and Jesus, on that beginning of his ministry, will likely spend the first Sabbath and the first Sunday of his ministry gathering the first four of his disciples. Then we'll visit Cana of Galilee, the marriage feast. From there to Jerusalem, the temple will be cleansed during the first Passover. And this helps us to reckon the three-and-a-half-year ministry of Jesus from Passover to Passover, which occurred 14th day of the first month of the Jewish calendar, the spring of our year, March or April, will be Jesus. From Jerusalem, he will return to 
Cana of Gal or to Cana of Galilee after his conversation with Nicodemus. He will heal a nobleman's son, then return to Nazareth and there be rejected by his own people. And in Luke chapter four, as that record concludes the fourth chapter of Luke, we are destined to our brief walk. So there are about ten major events. And our manner of study is just going to be to read the text, look at something of the setting, describe the essence of God in Christ relating to people, and then falls to say, what does this mean to us? And then walk to the next circumstance. All right, any comment or inquiry before we begin our reading? Look for a moment with me at the Gospel of Mark, the opening verses, and let's compare for just a moment the complementary nature of the four Gospels, by whom and for what they were written. And then we'll be into our study. Mark's gospel is the briefest. Startling word in the gospel of Mark is the word straightway in the King James, or immediately or quickly in other translations. Mark just plunges immediately into the life of Christ. Notice how it begins. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written, the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John did baptize in the wilderness, preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And there went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem, and were all baptized of him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. John was clothed with camel hair and with a girdle of skin about his loins, and he did eat locusts and wild honey, and preached, saying, There cometh one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down unloose. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John and Jordan, and we'll come back to that in a moment. Mark gives us nothing of the background of Jesus. He begins with the testimony of John, and the first event he records is the coming of Jesus to be baptized. And Mark in these first few verses has thrice begun to tell me who Jesus is. Mark says... He is the Son of God, verse 1. Mark says, let me tell you, the beginning of the good news, Jesus is God, the Son of God. As it is written, then he quotes the prophet Isaiah. He is the Christ of the prophets. Then he turns to his second cousin, John the Baptizer, who says, I'm not even worthy. He's greater than me. So in the space of just a few verses, Mark says he's God's son. Isaiah says, he is the one of whom the prophets wrote. And John said, he's the one sent from God who shoots our king. So Mark writes for all men, especially the Roman mind. He doesn't major in quoting the prophets. He doesn't go back in Old Testament history. He doesn't go back into eternity. He just says, let me tell you about what you have experienced in your own lifetime. And he starts where they've experienced it. And he says, Jesus was baptized with John, and that's when really we began to hear about Jesus. Now turn to the Gospel of Matthew, and let's read the opening verses. Matthew, now that you know I have a coat. Matthew begins with a cryptic statement that doesn't mean too much. He began to read the Old Testament. The Old Testament scriptures bear witness to the one form of the only Bible. So when Matthew says, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, He's not just introducing a list of names that sometimes become someone related to Hatton years ago. A group of young toughs one night, and, and they were caviling and scorning and laughing at 
It served well to introduce Jesus. Now, what Matthew does thee is to tie this first century person with all that had been written by the prophet. So Matthew writes to the Jewish time and time again, and his characteristic phrase will be that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, even as he does. So Matthew writes to convince the Hebrew, knowledgeable of, of the ones who now turn to the Gospel of Luke. Apologize for being an atheist because you believe the Bible to be spurious, fraud perpetrated on unsuspecting minds, and as such he felt an honest man seeing that fraud was honor bound to deal with facts and truth. Rob was right in that conviction. But he was quite sick. Partly Simmons, who graduated in 19th rare old farm, partly had occasion to visit Rob Thompson. I encourage him to read the book of Acts for him. Rob was intrigued by the reference to the rudder bands, to which Paul makes reference in Acts chapter 27. Loose the rudder bands, let the storm drive the grain ship ashore. And Rob cackled with his deep roots of background in sailing lore. Rudder bands. Only a fool would make a reference to a non-existent. That's all like buying a left-handed monkey wrench. Until later, Rob had a case to read ancient sailing vessels. He hadn't mentioned Jesus yet. He just said, we've heard things. They've been handed down to us. There were those who say they're eyewitnesses. And Luke said, I've just done some checking. I have given myself to carefully examine so that now when I write of Herod and his days and events, as immediately he proceeds in verse 5, so that you can know this all has been verified and I have the documentation. And we'll come back to that thought in a moment. But now let's turn to chapter 20 of the Gospel of John. John's Gospel begins with those sublime words in the beginning. I like to start, I don't like the football game approaching the entrance with a huge roar and see everybody standing up and all the players down on the goal line and to wonder what happened. John says, in the beginning, the Word. The Word was with God and the Word, same was in the beginning. By Him were all things made, without Him was not anything made. In Him was the light, the life was the light of men. And the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness swallowed it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He was sent to bear witness of that light. He was not that light, he was sent to bear witness of the light. And then he continues to talk. So John goes back into eternity long before the prophets and before Abraham and before Adam. But notice as John concludes his gospel, he concludes with a man feeling the wound in the side of his beloved friend whom he had watched down across, who's been told by 10 of his close associates, we've seen the Lord. Doubting Thomas, Jesus never called him. Never. All Thomas asked for was a reason to believe the only good news the world has heard. And the only good news in Lubbock, Texas this morning is you don't have to die. Because of Jesus, you don't have to die. The one thing we're all trying to do, live, is only answered in Jesus. So a week later, Jesus appears, says, Thomas, you wanted evidence? Here it is. Touch and see. Don't be an unbeliever. John says, we should, my Lord and my God. John tells us, verses 30 and 31 of chapter 20, many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples. But you're not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. The last verse of the Gospel, John writes, There are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written, everyone, I suppose, that even the world itself 
could not contain the books that should be, which is to say that from this point on, as we spend several hours, the grace of God, we'll scratch a little bit, we'll pause, be enamored, impressed, hopefully be humbled, be encouraged to, to walk with him and to follow, but we won't begin to learn and do what he wants us to do. That's the purpose of the gospel. One writer said that in all of the gospel accounts, all four put together, we have only about 31 days from the life of Jesus. I've never been able to ascertain that for myself, but it's interesting. I believe it was G. Campbell Morgan. I do not remember. Which is to say, we don't have much of his life. But the purpose of the gospel accounts was not to give us a biography of Jesus. It was to portray him sufficiently in a verified way so that we'll be convinced he's the son of God. He's the giver of life. He is my creator. He would be my redeemer. And to trust him as such and live. Now turn with me to the third chapter of Matthew. Let's look now at the first event in the first year of our Lord's ministry. The year of inauguration, as oftentimes it is called, followed by the year of popularity. When great multitudes swell and hang on his words and follow him, followed by the year of opposition, culminating, heinous of all acts, murder of the only good. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Turn for a moment to Luke chapter 3. We'll come right back. But Luke tells us those days. Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being Tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, Tetrarch of Idyrian of the region of Trachonitis, and Lysanias, the Tetrarch of Abilene, Annas and Caiaphas, being the high priest, the word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. He came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the mission of sin. So back to Matthew chapter 3, in those days, means the days of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, Herod Agrippa, Lysanias, Philip, and the innocent thing is all of these are readily verified. I do just read Roman history of the first century. So we're not reading a fairy tale. We're reading the history of that which took place. Come in, Brother Gieske. Glad to have you people join us. We're in Matthew chapter 3. In those days came John the Baptist, preaching the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For well, this is he that was spoken of with the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And St. John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan, and were baptized of him in Jordan confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits meet for repentance. Think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Now also the axe is laid under the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water into repentance. He that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand. And he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then cometh Jesus. Just two or three words about John, and I think then we'll pursue conversation with Jesus. 
I read uh, Edersheim's Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah, first about 500 pages. Detailed, and I would recommend that as other books the world, the first century. Alfred Edersheim's monumental work in giving us a feel of what's going on. Many of the things that I'll say today are drawn from his observations of customs and manners and backgrounds. But Edersheim's comment is that John spoke the common truth which leveled all humanity when he said, repent. He said it to soldiers who threatened people, who took advantage of people. He said it to publicans and harlots that Hilton made reference to. And Jesus Three years later would remind the proud, impenitent Jews that the publicans and harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. By ah, blasphemous statement in their ears, for he said they repented the preaching of John. And he said it to the scribes and the Pharisees, the teachers with their long flowing robes and their prominent tassels and their phylacteries, their impressive look of being holy men. John did not come to make a name for himself. He is out in the wilderness. Hear this, this Galilean prophet born of the rude priest Zacharias and Elizabeth as viewed by the religious structure and power control in Jerusalem. In stern clothing, leather girdle and camel's hair and Eating locusts and wild honey. I could tell you some Thailand, include wild honeycombs while the bees crawled out and the larvae wriggled, and that's enough, but people really do that. But as they go out to John, John says, the one of whom the prophet spoke is about here. The one you've longed for. The one in whose name so many false prophets have led so many believing, hungering people astray, saying, I am the Christ. John said, he's coming. Here's what you better do. For God's rule, God's kingdom is almost here. And so they went out to him, all these people, and they are baptized of John in confessing their sin. I don't know why Jesus feels compelled at this point. What he says to John, explain that. But I'm saying now, a 30-year-old man, some of you are younger than that, some of you are that approximate age, and others of us have Brother Grace Young. And out of the quietness of Nazareth and working as a carpenter, having grown up at the feet of his beloved mother Mary and, and being subject to her and that one trip to Jerusalem, the only indication at this time, there's a stirring in his soul that brings Jesus from Nazareth, probably about 20 miles down to the region around Beth Arbor, where John was baptized. Momentous occasion is the occasion of the baptism of Jesus and God's endorsement and his announcement. All right, that's where we'll begin our study at.